0: G'day, mates. It's B Buster here. So, before the episode begins, I would just like to say a huge thank you to CastBox for helping me make the CastBox original, Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71. CastBox is the fastest-growing, highest-rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, and you can find all of your favourite podcasts there. Personally, I think CastBox is the best podcasting platform out there – And I hope you guys check it out, because I think you'll be surprised at just how much variety they have, and how user-friendly their app is. Anyway guys, thanks for listening, and without further ado, let's begin. A Shattered Life by M59GaR I don't know when you're going to listen to this, but I can tell you when it started. I was out for a walk alone in the woods when the entity came for me. It was beyond a blur. It was, for a lack of a better term, absence of me. Where it hid, there were no trees. Where it crept closer, there was no grass. Through the arc, it leapt at me, and there was no breeze of motion, and there was no air at all. As it struck, I felt a distinct sensation of claws puncturing me somewhere unseen, somewhere that I'd never felt before. My hands and arms and legs and torso, they all seemed fine, and I wasn't bleeding, but... I knew that I'd been injured somehow. As I fearfully ran back home, I could tell that I was less. I was vaguely tired and... it was hard to focus at times. The solution at that early stage was easy. A big cup of coffee helped me feel normal again. For a while... That subtle drain on my spirit became lost in the ebb and flow of caffeine in my system. You could say that my life began that week, actually. Because that was when I met Ma. She and I got along great. Though, to be honest, I'm pretty sure I fell in love with her over the phone before we even met. It was almost as if the strong emotions of that first week made the Entity fight back. It was still with me... latched onto some invisible part of my being. The first few incidents were... minor... and... I hardly worried about them. The colour of a neighbour's car changed from dark blue to black one morning... and I stared at it before shaking my head and shrugging off the difference. Two days later... at work... My co-worker's name changed from Fred to Dan. I carefully asked around, but everyone said that his name had always been Dan. I figured that I'd just been mistaken. Then, as ridiculous as this sounds, I was peeing in my bathroom at home when I suddenly found myself on a random street. I was still in my pyjamas, pants down and urinating but now in full view of a dozen people at a bus stop. Horrified, I pulled up my clothes and ran before someone called the cops. I did manage to get home, but the experience forced me to admit that I was still in danger. The entity was doing something to me, and I didn't understand how to fight back. Ma showed up that evening, but she had her own key. Hey... I asked her with confusion. How'd you get a key? She just laughed. (laughs) You're cute. Are you sure you're okay with this? She opened a door and entered a room full of boxes. I know living together is a big step. Especially when we've only been dating three months. Living together? I'd literally just met her the week before. The thing was, my mother had always called me a smart cookie for a reason. I knew when to shut my yap, and instead of causing a scene, I told her everything was fine, and then I just went to my room and began investigating. My things were just as I had left them, with no sign of a three month gap in habitation. But I did find something out of the ordinary the date. I shivered angrily as I processed the truth. The entity had eaten three months of my life. What the hell was I facing? What kind of creature would consume pieces of one's soul like that? I'd miss the most exciting part of a new relationship, and I would never understand any shared stories or in-jokes from that period. Something... ...absurdly precious had been taken away from me. And... ...I was furious. And that fury... ...helped suppress the entity. I never imbibed alcohol. I drank coffee religiously. I checked the date every time I woke up. For three years. I managed to live each day while... ...observing nothing more than minor alterations. A social fact here and there. Someone's job... How many kids they had. That sort of thing. The layout of nearby streets. The time my favourite television show aired. That kind of thing. Always, those changes reminded me that the creature still had its claw sunk into my spirit. Not once in three years did I ever let myself zone out. But, one day, I grew careless... I let myself get really into the season final of my favourite show. It was gripping, a fantastic story. And right at the height of the action, a young boy came up to my lander and shook my arm. Surprised, I asked, ''Uh, who are you? How did you get in here?'' He laughed and smiled brightly. ''Silly daddy!'' heart sank in my chest. I knew immediately what had happened. After a few masked questions, I discovered that he was two years old, and that he was my son. The agony and heartache filling my chest was nearly unbearable. Not only had I missed the birth of my son, I would never see or know the first years of his life. But Mara and I had obviously gotten married and started a family in the time I'd lost. And I had no idea what joys or pains those years contained. It was snowing outside. Holding my sudden son in my lap. I sat and watched the flakes fall outside. What kind of life was this going to be if slips in concentration could cost me years? I had to get help. The church had no idea what to do. The priests didn't even believe me and told me that I had health issues rather than some sort of possession. The doctors didn't have any clue. Nothing showed up on all their scans and tests, but they happily took my money in return for nothing. By the time that I ran out of options, I'd decided to just tell them. There was no way to know what this all looked like from her side. What was I like when I wasn't there? Did I still take our son to school? Did I still do my job? Clearly I did, because she seemed to be none the wiser. I still had a horrible feeling that something must have been missing in her life when I wasn't actually home inside my own head. But the night I set up a nice dinner in preparation, she arrived not by unlocking the front door, but by knocking on it. I answered and found that she was in a nice dress. She was happily surprised by the settings on the table. A fancy dinner for a second date? I knew you were sweet on me. I thank the Lord that I knew when to keep my mouth shut. If I'd gone on about being married and having a son, she might have run for the hills. Instead, I took a coat and sat down for a second date. Through carefully crafted questions, I managed to deduce the truth. This really was our second date. She saw relief and happiness in me, but interpreted that as dating jitters. I was just excited to realize that the entity wasn't necessarily eating whole portions of my life. The symptoms, as I was beginning to understand them, were more like the consequences of a shattered soul. The creature had wounded me, broken me into pieces perhaps I was to live my life out of order, but at least I would actually get to live it. And so it went for a few years, from my perspective. While minor changes in politics or geography would happen daily, major shifts in my mental location only happened every couple of months. When I found myself in a new place and time in life, I just shut up and listened and making sure to get the lay of the land before doing anything to avoid making mistakes. On the farthest flung leap yet, I met my six-year-old grandson, and I asked him what he wanted to be when he grew up, and he said, writer. I told him that that was a fine idea. Then, I was back in month two of my relationship with Ma, and... I had the best night with her on the riverfront. And when I say the best, I mean the best. Knowing how special that she would become to me, I asked her to move in. I got to live through what I'd missed the first go around, and I came to understand that I was never mentally absent. I would always be there, eventually. Eventually. When we were moving boxes in, she stopped for a moment and said that she marvelled at my great love, as if I'd known her for a lifetime and never once doubted that she was the one. That was the first time I'd truly laughed freely and wholeheartedly since the entity had wounded me. She was right about my love for her, but for exactly the reason that she'd considered a silly romantic analogy. I had known her for my whole life, and I'd come to terms with my situation and found peace with it. It wasn't so bad to have sneak peeks at all the best parts ahead. But, of course, I wouldn't be sharing this if it hadn't have gotten worse. The Entity was still with me. It had not wounded me and departed like I wanted to believe. The closest I can describe my growing understanding was that the creature was burrowing deeper into my psyche, fracturing into smaller pieces. Instead of months between major shifts, I began having only weeks. Once I noticed that trend, I feared my ultimate fate would be to jump between times in my life, heartbeat by heartbeat, forever confused and forever lost. Only an instant each time meant that I would never be able to speak with anyone else, and never be able to hold a conversation and never express or receive love even. As the true depth of that fear came upon me, I sat in an older version of me and watched the snow falling outside. That was the one constant in my life. The weather didn't care who I was or what pains I had to face. Nature was always there. The falling snow was always like a little hook that kept me in place. The pure emotional peace it brought was like a panacea on my mental wounds. And I'd never yet shifted while watching the pattern of falling white and thinking of times that I'd gone sledding or built snow forts as a child. A teenager... Touched my arm. Grandpa? He'd startled me out of my thoughts, so I was less careful than usual. Uh, Who are you? He half grinned as if not sure whether I was joking. Handing me a stack of papers, he said, It's my first attempt at a novel, and would you read it and tell me what you think? Ah, of course. Pursuing that dream of being a writer, I see. He burned bright red. Well, trying to anyway. Alright, run off. I'll read it now. The words were blurry and annoyed. I looked for glasses that I probably had for reading. Being old was terrible. And I wanted to leap back into a younger year. But... Not before I read this book. I found my glasses in a sweater pocket and began leafing through. Ma puttered in and out of the living room. Still beautiful. But I had to focus. I didn't know how much time that I would actually have there. G'day, mates. So, I just wanted to take a quick break before the second half of the story to thank all of you guys for listening to Be Scared. If you're a new listener, welcome to The Hive. And if you're a long-time fan, thanks for checking out the podcast. If you could please take a moment to do me a favour to rate and review the show, that would be a huge help. And if you have any stories that you would like to submit for future episodes, you can send them to my email at bish.buster at gmail.com. That's b-i-s-h dot at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and without further ado... Here's the rest of the story. It seemed that we had relatives over. Was it Christmas? A pair of adults and a couple of kids that I didn't recognize tromped through the hallway and I saw my son, and now an adult, walk by with his wife on the way out of the door. As a group, the extended family began sledding outside. Finally, I finished reading the story, and I called out for my grandson. He rushed down the stairs and into the living room. So, how was it? Well, it's terrible, I told him truthfully. But it's terrible for all the right reasons. You're still a young man, so your characters behave like young people. But the structure of the story itself is very solid. I paused. I didn't expect it to turn out to be... A horror story, though. He nodded. Yeah, so... It's a reflection of the times. Expectations for the future are dismal. Not hopeful like they used to be. Ah, You're far too young to be aware like that. I told him. And an idea occurred to me. Well, if you're into horror... Do you know anything about strange creatures? Uh, sure. I've read everything that I can. I love it. Warily, I scanned the entrances to the living room. Everyone was busy outside. For the first time, I opened up to someone in my life about what I was experiencing. In hushed tones, I told him about my fragmented consciousness for a teenager he actually took it well you're actually serious yes I am he donned the determined look of a grown man accepting a quest I'll look into it see what I can find out okay but you should start writing down everything you experience okay build some data maybe we can map your psychic wound sounds like a plan I was surprised, to say the least. That actually made sense, and I hadn't expected him to have a serious response like that. But how will I get all the notes in one place? Let's come up with somewhere for you to leave them, he said, frowning with thought. Then I'll get them, and we can trace the path you're taking through your own life, and see if there's a pattern or anything. For the first time since the situation had gotten worse, I actually felt hope again. Okay, well, how about under the stairs? Nobody ever goes under there. Yeah, good idea. He turned and left the living room. I peered after him and I heard him banging around near the stairs. Finally, he returned with a box laid it on the carpet and opened it to reveal a bursting stack of papers. He exclaimed, Holy crap! But of course, being a teenager, he didn't really say crap. Taken aback, I blinked rapidly, forgiving his cussing because of the shock. Did I write those? He looked at me with wonder. Yeah, Or, you will at least. You still have to write them and put them under the stairs after this. He gazed back down at the papers, then covered the box. So, you probably shouldn't see what they say then. That could get weird. That much, I understood. Yeah, right. There are like 50 boxes under there, all filled up like this. Deciphering these is going to take a really long time. His tone dropped to deadly serious. But I'll save you, Grandpa, because I don't think anyone else can. Tears flowed down my cheeks then, and I couldn't help but sob once or twice. I hadn't realised how lonely I'd become in my shifting prisons of awareness until I finally someone who understood. And then, just like that, I was young again, and at work on a random Tuesday. Once the sadness and relief faded, anger and determination replaced them. After I finished my work, I grabbed some paper and began writing. While the weeks shifted around me, with those weeks becoming days and then hours... I wrote every single spare moment about when and where I thought I was. I put them under the stairs out of order. My first box was actually the 30th, and my last box was the first. Once I had over 50 boxes written from my perspective, and once my shifting became a matter of minutes, I knew then that it was up to my grandson to take it from there. I put my head down and just stopped looking. I couldn't stand the river of changing awareness any longer. Names and places and dates and jobs and colours and people were all wrong and different. I'd never been older. I sat watching the snowfall. A man of at least 30 that I vaguely recognised entered the room. Come on, I think I finally figured it out. I was so frail that moving was painful. Are you him? Are you my grandson? Yes. He took me to a room filled with strange equipment and sat me in a rubber chair facing a large mirror twice the height of a man. How long have you worked on this? I asked him, aghast. Tell me that you didn't miss your life like I'm missing mine. His expression was both stone cold and furiously resolute. It'll be worth it. He brought two thin metal rods close to my arm and then nodded at the mirror. Look, this shock, it's carefully calibrated, okay? The electric zap from his device was startling, but not painful. In the mirror, I saw a rapid arcing light silhouette appear above my head and shoulder. The electricity moved through the creature like a wave, briefly revealing the terrible nature of what was happening to me. A bulging, leech-like mouth was wrapped around the back of my head, coming down to my eyebrows and touching each ear. And its slug-like body ran over my shoulder and into my very soul. It was... It was a parasite. And it was feeding on my mind. My now adult grandson held my hand as I took in the horror. After a moment, he asked. Removing it is going to hurt really badly. Are you sure you're up for this? Fearful, I asked. Is... is Ma here? His face softened. Ah, no. Not for a few years now. I could tell from his reaction what had happened, but... I didn't want it to be true. How? We have this conversation a lot, he responded. Uh, Are you sure you want to know? It never makes you feel any better. Tears brimmed in my eyes. Then I don't care if it hurts or if I die. I don't want to stay in a time where she's not alive. He made a sympathetic noise of understanding and then returned to his machine to hook several wires and other bits of technology to my limbs and forehead. While he did so, he talked. I've worked for two decades to figure this out and I've had a ton of help from other researchers of the occult. This parasite doesn't technically exist in our plane. It's one of the lesser spawns of Ubu, and it feeds on the plexus of mind, soul, and quantum consciousness and reality. When details like names and colours of objects changed, you weren't going crazy. The web of your existence was merely losing strands as the creature ate its way through you. Obviously, I didn't fully understand. I looked up in confusion as he placed a circlet of electronics like a crown on my head, in exact line with where the parasite's mouth had ringed me. What's Ubu? He paused his work and grew pale. Uh, I forgot that you wouldn't know. You're lucky, believe me. After a deep breath, he began moving again and placed his fingers near a few stitches. You ready? This is carefully tuned to make your nervous system extremely unappetizing to the parasite, but it's basically electroshock therapy. I could still see my smile, even though she was dead and I'd just been with her moments ago. Do it. The click of a switch echoed in my ears, and I almost laughed at how mild the electricity was. It didn't feel like anything, at least at first. But then I saw the mirror shaking and my body within that image convulsing. Oh no... It did hurt. Nothing had ever been more painful, in fact. It was just so excruciating that my mind hadn't been able to immediately process it. As my vision shook and fire burned in every nerve in my body, I could see the reflected trembling light silhouette of the parasite on my head as it writhed in agony equal to mine. It had claws, six clawed lizard-like limbs under its leech-like body, and... It cut into me in an attempt to stay latched on. The electricity made my memories flare. Ma's smile was foremost, lit brightly in front of a warm fire as the snow fell past the window behind her. The edges of that memory began lighting up and I realised that my life was one continuous stretch of experience. It was only the awareness of it that had been fragmented by that feasting evil on my back. I'd never managed to be there for the birth of my son. I'd jumped around it a dozen times, but never actually lived it. And for the first time, I got to hold Ma's hand and be there with her. But then, that moment had shifted seamlessly into holding her hand as she laid in a hospital bed for a very different reason. Not this why. It was so merciless to make me remember this. I broke down in tears as nurses rushed into the room and I didn't want to know. I didn't want to experience it. I'd seen all the good parts but I hadn't wanted the worst part. The inevitable end that all would one day face. It it wasn't worth it. It was tainted. All that joy was given back 10,000-fold as pain. The fire in my body and in my brain surged to sheer white torture, and I screamed. My scream faded into a surprise shout as the machines and electricity and chair faded away. Snow was no longer falling around my life. I was out in the woods on a bright summer day. Oh, shit. I turned to see the creature approaching me. It was the same absence of meaning, the same blank on reality. It crept forward, just like before, but this time, it hissed, and then turned away. I stood, astounded at being young again and freed from the parasite. My grandson, he'd actually done it. He'd made me an unappetizing meal, so the predator of mind and soul had moved on in search of a different snack. I returned home in in a daze, and while I was sitting there processing all that had happened, uh, the phone rang. I looked at it in awe and sadness. I knew who it was. It was Majori. Calling for the first time for some trivial reason she'd admit 30 years later was made up just to talk to me but all I could see was her lying in that hospital bed, dying. It was all going to end in unspeakable pain and loneliness. I would become an old man, left to sit by myself in an empty house, his soulmate gone long before him. At the end of it all, the only thing that I would have left, would be sitting and watching the falling snow. But now, thanks to my grandson, I would also have all of my memories. It would be a wild ride, no matter how it ended. On a sudden impulse, I picked up the phone, and with a smile, I asked, "Uh, Hey, who's this? Even though I already knew. G'day, mates. It's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Bee Scared podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening, guys, and I'll see you, mates, in the next one.